glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. And if you would please with me, Acts chapter 27, uh, beginning in verse 1. Paul is a prisoner here. He's been arrested in Jerusalem uh, for his preaching and now is being shipped to Rome. It says, when it was determined that we should sail into Italy, they delivered Paul and certain prison, other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of Augustus's band, and entering into a ship of Adramidium, uh, we launched, meaning to sail by the coast of Asia, one Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, being with us. And the next day we touched at Sidon, and Julius courteously entreated Paul and gave him liberty to go unto his friends to refresh himself. And when we had launched from thence, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we sailed over the sea of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing into Italy, and he put us therein. And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Nidus, the wind not suffering us, we sailed under Crete over against Salmon, and hardly passing it came unto a place which is called the Fair Havens, nigh whereinto was the city of Lasea. Now when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with much hurt, with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading of the and ship, but also of our lives, Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Phoenice, there to winter, which is in the haven of Crete, and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat, which, when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship, fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand, strike sail, and so were driven. And we, being exceedingly tossed with the tempest the next day, they lightened the ship, And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me, and not have loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar, and, lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit we must be cast upon a certain island. Thank you. You may be seated. There's a lot in this text, and we don't we don't want to make it um, overly figurative because this is a historical account. Nonetheless, it is a historical account that the Spirit of God put in the Bible for our instruction. So, as we watch the Apostle Paul in this, as he 
uh, lived his life as an example of the believers, as he told Timothy to do for us, we can look at how he responded to this physical storm in his life, which was at the same time a spiritual storm in his life. There's no doubt about that. And learn how we can respond. I believe uh, we need to understand, because I believe this, I don't, I don't think that our times that we live in are going to get any less turbulent as we move near the day of the Lord's return. I just don't, I don't see when I read my Bible that the world's going to become a more peaceable place. I don't see when we look at the trajectory of, of where humanity is going and uh, where our nation is headed and how that affects our families and our homes and our communities. I don't believe we're going to see things getting better necessarily. And we see this storm, and of course it is a, it is a literal account, but it's also figurative of storms in our lives, and I believe this, when we are in the midst of the storm, that is when it is most difficult to believe the promises of God. Because the storm tells us that what we previously believed is not true. And we'll see that in a very real way with the Apostle Paul here tonight. There were some things that God had promised Paul before he ever got on this boat. This storm threatened to destroy all of that. Paul's desire was to die for the Lord. His desire was not just to die, and I don't, I don't necessarily believe he had a martyr complex, but I believe Paul knew that his calling in life was to suffer for the Lord, uh, that he had caused many to suffer, and he himself then would, uh, not as a retribution, but as a demonstration of love for the Lord, he would suffer, and he believed he would go to Jerusalem and die. But yet, while he was at Jerusalem, the Lord said, no, that's not my plan for you. I want you still to preach at Rome. And where this applies to us is there are things that the Holy Spirit of God uses in Scripture to make application to us. God gives us clear leadership in our lives. He opens doors and closes doors and through the Word of God makes known His will to us. And yet there are times that what God has promised us and the expectation that He's birthed in our heart seems that it's going to be cut off by circumstances out of our control. I hope all that I'm saying is making sense to you. We can make some application in our practical lives. We get an expectation of how the Lord might use us or bless our faith in Him and our obedience to Him. Paul had an earnest desire to go to Rome and preach the gospel one more time. That was his burning desire. And yet, by the time you get in the middle of Acts 27, Luke says, all hope that we should be saved was then lost. Meaning, there came a point in that storm where there was no more, okay, maybe if we do this, it'll get us out of the storm. They had submitted themselves, they were going to die in the sea, and yet God helped Paul in the midst of that to be a light in the midst of this storm, an anchor in the midst of this storm, and the influence, I'll probably say this before it's over, the influence he did not have at the beginning of this journey, he did at the end. At the beginning of the journey, and I don't want to get ahead of myself, Paul had tried to reason with the centurion about the course they were going to take. And the Bible makes it very clear that the centurion decided not to believe Paul, but rather to believe the professional there, that was the master and the owner of the ship. Who's this Paul? He's just a prisoner and a preacher. He doesn't know what he's talking about. We'll believe the master and the owner of the ship. And, uh, and as a result, they were put in all this danger. And so anyway, again, I want to get ahead of myself. But the fact of the matter is, the influence he could not have at the beginning, by the time it's done, he does have, and God uses him to save the lives of all these men for one reason. Paul believed God. And he believed God more than everything else that was going on around him. I believe this as we live our lives. We live in a sin-cursed world where people don't always listen to the Lord. We are often subjected to the bad outcomes of the bad decisions of other people. Would you agree? 
And what happens as a result, then we are challenged as to whether or not believing God was the right thing to do. And we have to decide, am I going to believe my experiences? Am I going to believe what my circumstances are saying? Or am I going to believe what God says? (coughs) Excuse me. And we see tonight that if you and I are going to influence those around us to believe God, (coughs) excuse me, we must have a steadfast faith when that faith is put to the test. And so let me give you four things tonight in this text, if I may, and from some text earlier, excuse me, concerning the Apostle Paul. Go back to Acts chapter 23, if you would. Begin tonight with the promise that God had made to Paul. I referenced it earlier, but I want to read it tonight, uh, that coming into this storm, the Apostle Paul had already been promised from the Lord that he was going to preach in Rome. In Acts 23, Paul is in prison, and verse 10, the Bible says, And when there rose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him by force from among them and to bring him into the castle. And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, and this is the same words Paul will use, I believe, at least three times in the midst of the storm, Be of good cheer, Paul, now that question, if you're sitting in prison and yesterday you almost got torn in pieces by people because they want to kill you, is it easy to be of good cheer? But the Lord's going to give Paul the reason why he should be of good cheer. He says, be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. I stated before, and if you read the book of Acts, you'll find Paul was bound and determined to go to Jerusalem, believing he would die there for the Lord. Once he gets in Jerusalem, he is informed, that's not the Lord's plan, Paul. That's what you wanted, but that's not what the Lord planned. And this promise is given to him in Acts 23, verse 11. Be of good cheer, Paul, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. So what is God's next stop for Paul? At Rome. He does not say, so must thou die in a shipwreck on the sea. Now, this was never even discussed by the Lord. What happens with Paul in Acts 27 is so much like what happened with the disciples when the Lord said to get in a ship and go onto the other side. <coughs> he never mentioned there's going to be a storm between here and the other side. He just said, we're going to the other side. And it is true in our lives. Many times the Lord says, this is where I'm taking you, whether it be uh, in our own lives and forward progress and godly character or some manner of service the Lord has for us. We get excited. God's going to use me on the mission field or God's going to use me in the ministry in this way. Maybe God can use me to do this. And we see that objective. And as we begin to go toward what we, we know to be God's will for our life, all of a sudden all these things crop up between the direction of God as to what he's doing with us and the accomplishment of it. And it brings about this this confusion if we're not careful to say, I thought God said. You set out to start raising a family for God and you have children (coughs) and you say, I want to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And if it were only so simple as saying that, so between the purpose of heart, seeing the word of God and the course that God charts and lays out, for how to raise children for the Lord, and then seeing it accomplished, there are storms between the decision to take God's course of action and seeing the work accomplished. Somebody says, God's called me to preach, and God sends you into a place, and you say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to preach the gospel, and as people believe the word of God, we'll assemble them together, and we'll see God raise up a church, and that's exactly what God has led to be done. But between the call and the going and the accomplishment, there are things that come about that threatened to cut off the very thing God called you to do. 
I think we can all be very clear, the promise of God to Paul was equally of call of God in Paul's life. God says, you're going to preach at Rome. That's a promise. So when Paul gets on a ship to sail with Augustus, this centurion, he knows where he's headed. And at this moment, he says, ah, this makes perfect sense. This is what God said was going to happen. We're going to go to Rome. I'm going to preach before I die in Rome. What a fulfillment of one of Paul's dreams. Paul's promise, in that promise in Acts 23, there was great comfort. God saying, I'm not done with you. (coughs) Excuse me, I still have a purpose for you. I still have a job for you. And he promises that's what he's going to do. The clarity of that promise, God pinned down exactly where Paul was going to go. He said, what does this have to do with us? There are times in our life... The will of God is expressed to us so clear. We know this is what God has gifted me to do. This is what God has directed me to do. This is the decision I am to make. This is God's will for my life. He gives a scripture, confirms it. As clear as it was to Paul, he's supposed to preach in Rome. We know this is what God has told me to do, whether it be, again, our personal conduct or work in the ministry uh, or, or whatever may be the case. And so there was clarity in God's promise. There was a call in that promise. There was comfort in that promise. And there was certainty in that promise. God did not say... I'm going to have you preach at Rome also if you can survive the journey. There was no if in it. God's will was clear. Paul, this is what I want to do with your life. And so then that's Paul's promise. When we get to Acts chapter 27, you come into seeing Paul's perception. Paul is a spiritual man. This is a man that walks with God. (coughs) He is a man that not only is spiritual, he's a man that spent a lot of time on boats. You think Paul had some experience about traveling by ship? By this time in his life, he had some experience, not to mention his walk with the Lord. But you have to also remember he's a prisoner. He is not a fellow shipmate. He is not a military man. He is not the captain of the ship. He's a prisoner. And so in verse 9 of Acts 27, he with some good perception, the Bible says, verse 9, now when much time was spent and when sailing was now dangerous because the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them and said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading and ship, but also of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And then the Bible was on saying, because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Phoenice and there to winter, which is in haven of Crete and lieth toward the southwest and northwest. And when the south wind blew softly... Supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. number of things here. As you grow in the Lord and as you walk with the Lord, his direction for your life becomes more clear and you grow in spiritual discernment. At least we should. Amen. Paul gets on this boat and he, knowing where they're headed and perceiving that they needed to stay put, he gave his advice. He admonished them. He said, men, it would be wiser to stay here and not to go on this journey there's going to be danger. And so his, uh, his perception was definitive. Paul could see through the wisdom God had given him, if we go out on this trip, it's going to put everybody's life in danger. But you know what I know. They didn't listen to him. His, his perception was definitive. He declared it. He made it known. And I believe there's an application for us in this tonight as well. There are times when we can see with some spiritual wisdom Because of those that are around us, Paul was on a course, and a lot of this was out of his control. As I said, he's not the captain of the ship. He's just a prisoner, but he was a prisoner that had some respect from the centurion. You can see that, that Julius entreated him courteously. There was a respect for the apostle Paul, and he used the platform he had as a preacher to say, I would like to spare everybody some trouble if you'd listen to what I have to say. 
as Christians, many times, we're going to have a perception that the world around us doesn't have, and we can say, well, why speak up? Nobody will listen anyway. The Apostle Paul spoke up. He is speaking up in order to try to preserve the man's ship, in order to preserve lives. He knows this is not what we need to do, and there's many times you and I can get frustrated because we speak up and say the truth. We know... There's a lot of Christians tonight that knows we know exactly where America is headed, the trajectory we're on as a nation. We can look in our local communities and watch political leaders make decisions. Sometimes we go and speak up and say, hey, if we do this, this is where this is going to go. We speak out publicly and openly. You realize Paul is speaking to some men of great authority and power here. He's admonishing them, this is not a good idea. You're about to make a bad decision. And yet with the declared, definitive wisdom he had, how was it handled? The, the centurion believed the captain or the, the master and owner of the ship, meaning the man that owned the ship had more expertise. Paul had the Spirit of God, but that man had more expertise, so he deferred to the expert, and then he deferred to the majority. The Bible says the more part of them advised that they go on. So really, Paul is kind of the only guy saying, I think we ought to stay put. And so his advice, because it was in the minority, and his advice, because it was not in line with the experts, was rejected. Does that sound familiar? Sometimes with spiritual wisdom, we can see, again, perhaps where those around us, maybe we're in our workplace and decisions are being made, and you see people making decisions, you say, you know what, with the wisdom from God's word, this is not good. And because often the Christian who's walking with God is in the minority and he's not considered an expert, guess what happens? Our admonition gets bypassed, and no, no, we're going to listen to the experts, and we're going to listen to the majority. The better part of them advised that they should go ahead and and sail on. The Bible says in verse 11, Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. And because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also. So there's that majority May I say this, the applications of this are numerous. We've used the workplace, we've used our community, in our nation as we speak up, even in our families. You realize we are independent one of another. Uh, you and I, you may have a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ and you say, you know, you're about to make a decision. I think this is a bad decision. And many times we know instinctively and, and, and rightfully so, we know that the decisions of those around us, their decisions are going to affect our lives as well. And I don't know about you, sometimes I'll go, no, please listen, please listen, please listen. If you follow this plan, this is where you're going. You're going to run smack into a storm if you keep on the course of life you're on. But the experts and the majority are often deferred to over the spiritual person. And we just have to know that. That's the way it happens. And so Paul's perception was definitive. It was declared. But it was dismissed. And don't, don't miss this. Seemingly, it was distorted. Look at verse 13. And when the south wind blew softly, Paul has just said, I perceive this is not going to be good. You better not do this. Supposing that they had obtained their purpose. Their purpose was, no, we're going to sail while we can, get a little further before we winter. Paul said, we need to winter now and wait it out. They're saying, no, our purpose is to get a little further down the line. Then we'll winter. So when the south wind blew softly, they supposed they had obtained their purpose. Loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. Verse 14 but not long after, there arose against a tempestuous wind called Eurycladin. 
Here's what happens. Often you and I speak up and give the truth. We can see a course of action that's going to lead to trouble. And we say, you ought to listen. Somebody says, who are you? We don't know. The experts say this. The majority say this. And there is often a season of time where it looks like we were wrong. As Christians, there are seasons of time where it's like, oh, maybe we got it wrong. Maybe, you know, it can look like our advice was distorted. So Paul for a season of time, it wasn't a very long time, it looked like, I can only imagine what it sounded like on the ship. Yeah, that Paul. What was he talking about? You feel that south wind, doesn't that feel good? He said we were going to be in danger. He said there's going to be a storm. This was going to be damaged. <laughs> Man, this feels, like, this feels like a vacation in the Bahamas. What was that guy talking about? You and I as Christians at times have to endure moments where it looks like we're fools. That's the way it works. But the fact of the matter is, Paul's operating on the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of men, and his word would be proven out to be right. So Paul's promise is seen in Acts 23, 11. His perception is seen in verses 9 through 13 there of Acts 27. And then we find Paul's problem. We know what happens in the midst of this. We read all the way down to verse 26. Uh, there's a storm. You're Auckland, and we read of it in verse 14. It's a mighty storm, something like a hurricane. They name the thing. It's a, it's a mighty storm, so much so that they went days on end without any stars at night, any sun during the day. We'll say more about that in just a moment. At one point, 14 days go by of storm. Can you imagine being on a ship in a storm in the middle of the sea, rocked up and down? You've done everything you know to do to keep that ship from sinking. 14 days and nothing's changed. 14 days, some of these men went without eating. 14 days they went without food. It tells you the kind of storm this is. Now, let's just backtrack this a little bit. Put yourself in Paul's shoes. He is on a ship, and it looks like God's will for his life is about to be thwarted. Everything God promised him, what's he supposed to do? Preach in Rome. And everything God's promised him is about to sink. And why? Because somebody else would not listen to the right reasoning of, of, of the man of Paul. Because someone wouldn't listen when they were given wisdom. Because someone said, no, we know better. Do you realize the attitude this man could have gotten? I'm in a mess. My life's in a wreck. My ministry's about to come to a close because you wouldn't listen when I gave you good advice. Now, I praise God that's not the course he took. In the midst of the storm, you find Saul or Paul got alone with the Lord. By the way, when we're in the midst of the storm, that's always the answer. To go get alone with the Lord. You know what the disciples would have done well to do uh, when the Lord Jesus was sleeping in the back of the ship? Instead of going and wakening him in terror, say, you know what, let's go join him. If he's sleeping, we can too. When we wake up, it'll all be well. Yes? And here's what Paul does. He's in the midst of this storm. You think about the figurative application of this. They are tossed, the Bible says, up and down. They are tossed up and down. This storm brought a lot of things into this man's life and the lives of the others. But what I want us to see is the cause of it. All of this could have been avoided. All of it could have been avoided if what? If they'd have listened to it. If they'd just listened. You know what? There are storms you and I must go through because others will not listen to the wisdom of God's word. Because they'll not listen to the wisdom of God's people. There are things you and I must endure and must go through. And that's part of this life as a Christian. There are things we must endure because of the bad decisions of other people. May I say this, from a national standpoint, there are some things we're enduring right now because of leadership making some ungodly decisions. They should have listened to the preachers of this land 100 years ago. Amen? They should have. 
Our politicians would have done well to listen to the preachers instead of listen to uh, those who pay money and all these things, the special interests and all that goes on. I'm not here to preach a political message, but I'm saying we're in the mess we're in because God's word wasn't listened to, God's preachers weren't listened to, and now we're having to endure some difficulties because people didn't listen to God. You know what we can do? We can get a bad attitude or we can say, ah, but you know what? In the midst of that, God's word didn't change. God's promise to Paul never changed. God never said, "Uh uh-oh, Whoops, I didn't see that there might be a storm when I told you to go to Rome. I didn't count on that one. (laughs) No, no, God gives people free will, does he not? And yet in his wisdom, he's not going to be thwarted in his promises. God will keep his word. And so then here's the Apostle Paul having his faith put to the test by the storm that's caused. That storm was going to come, but they wouldn't have been in it if that bunch had listened to what he had to say. So that's the cause of his problem the decisions of others, but the consequence, his life is in danger. There caused great difficulty. The Bible talks about, in verse 15, says, and when the ship was caught we, uh, and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive, and running under a certain island, which is called Clotta, we had much work to come by the boat. There was much work. They're casting off the lading of the ship. They're undergirding. They're, they're, they're dealing with trying to secure this ship in the middle of the storm. A lot of work, a lot of difficulty in their lives because of this storm. And the Bible says, which when they had taken up, they used helps, undergirding the ship, fearing lest they should fall into the quicksand, strike sail, and so were driven, meaning their circumstances were controlling their lives. They had circumstances around them. No more were they able to steer the ship. The storm had completely taken over what was going on in their lives. And so there's danger, there's difficulty. The Bible goes on to tell us that there was darkness, um, If we continue to read in verse 20, it says, And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. So here they are in darkness, meaning if somebody said, Where are we? Is there land in sight? So there's no way to know. It is so dark, we don't know what's going on. We don't know if we're going north or south or east or west. We can't see. And at this point, despair set in. The entire disposition on the boat was, we're not going to make it out of this. Now, there's only one problem with that. That is in direct conflict with what God promised Paul in Acts 23, 11. We started with the promise of God. What did God tell Paul in that prison in Acts 23, 11 when he's in Jerusalem? Be of good cheer, Paul. As thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so thou must also in Rome. If Paul believes what the entire ship believes, he's going to have to deny what God said. If he believes that all hope that they should be saved is gone... That means he believes that God made a promise that he's not going to keep. You with me? This is the practicality of Christian living. The circumstances of your life are going to bring you at times to a place where you have to decide, am I going to believe what's going on around me or am I going to believe what God said in spite of what's going on around me? When I I have a promise from God and everything that's taking place in my life makes it look like that promise has been made void and it's very easy at that time to say, well... It's because of the decisions of others. God would have kept his word, but others didn't cooperate. Others didn't listen. As I said before, that doesn't change what God promised Paul. And so Paul's problem is that there is despair all around him. The majority has decided. Remember, the majority decided before, didn't they? Now the majority on the ship has decided. 276 people, to my knowledge, 275 of them believed they were going to sink in the sea. Paul is alone in his conviction that we'll see in just a moment And the problem that he's presented with is the circumstances of his life make the promise of God seem like an impossibility. 
There's no way this is going to happen. You think about how many direct promises we have in God's word. He says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. There are times we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and others don't. And it seems like they're going to negate the end of that promise that he'll add to us the things we need. We are given so many promises. Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Uh, we, we, are, we are given promises about um, our obedience to God and how he'll bless that and give fruit for it. He tells us that if we go and bear, bearing precious seed and go forth with weeping, we'll doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing our sheaves with him. But there's often between the sowing of the seed and the reaping of the sheaves that it seems like that promise cannot happen, but God's word stands. In spite of what took place between the promise and the fulfillment, Paul had to make a decision. Am I going to believe that this storm is going to negate God's word? Am I going to believe that God will keep his word in spite of it? Verse 21, the Bible says, but after, now we come into Paul's persuasion. But after long abstinence, Paul apparently takes some time to get alone with the Lord, pull away from everyone else. It sounds to me like he pulled away from his food, Abstinence, he's pulling away to hear from the Lord. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, ye should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. Now, why would he say such a thing? Isn't he being a know-it-all here? I told you so. No, no, this has to do with establishing what he's about to say. He is trying to establish what I told you before was true. And therefore, I'm about to tell you something else is true, and you need to listen to me this time. I hope I can get through the application of this tonight. You and I are going to go at times and witness to somebody, maybe knock on their door, try to get their kids to come to church, or sit on the sound of the gospel, and they're going to say, we don't believe what you have to say. But it's amazing how circumstances of life can change that. How we can say, do you remember how I told you five years ago? You know what? Sometimes you have people sitting in these pews, and they've heard preaching, And ten years down the road, when they're in the middle of a storm, you can say, you remember I told you this was going to happen? You remember that? I'm not saying it to say, I told you so. I'm saying it so I can, I'm going to tell you right now what God has provided to give you a way out. You didn't listen before, but you need to listen now. You with me tonight? You know what requires on our part? We have to be willing to be patient, wait on the Lord. And here's Paul, and he says, you should have listened to what I told you before. You didn't. Verse 22, and now... Now, so I'm going to do again what I did at the beginning of this journey. I'm going to exhort you. I'm going to try to get you to listen. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. He sounds just like God, doesn't he? Isn't that exactly what the angel told him in prison? Paul, be of good cheer. He says, now I exhort you, be of good cheer, for there should be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. We're going to have loss just like I told you, but we don't have to lose any lives. You know what that tells me? We're reminded yet again that souls are so much more valuable than assets. Paul said, we're going to lose a ship, but thankfully we're not going to lose any souls here uh, in this loss. Verse 22, and now I exhort you to be of good cheer, for there should be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. That's verse 22. Verse 23, for there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. Now, by the way, he said that happened this night, but the Bible says that the angel appearing to him was after long abstinence. You know what Paul had to do? He had to wait on God for a bit, didn't he? He had to wait on the Lord. There are times God's going to speak to us, but we have to wait to listen, hear what he has to say. So after long abstinence, the angel of the Lord appeared to him, and he says, Whose I am, I belong to the Lord, and I serve him. Verse 24, saying, Fear not, Paul, 
thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Verse 25, he says it again. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. Why can he say that? He says, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Paul says, I don't believe the circumstances. I don't believe what the majority believes. I believe what God says. Now, how many of us know the storm was still raging when he said this? Nothing has changed. They're still in the middle of the storm. And yet Paul made a decision. He said, I believe God that he told me we're going to go to Rome. And he told me that all of your lives are going to be saved. And I'm going to take him at his word. So the source of Paul's persuasion, we know, was the word of God. What God told him, he chose to believe. Then the strengthening of his persuasion, we know that God had promised him this in Acts 23, 11. You realize what the angel of God tells him on the ship is almost verbatim what he told him when he's in Jerusalem. God's just repeating, I told you you're going to go to Rome. I have not changed my promise. You know what? There are circumstances of life, as we've been saying through the message, that make it seem as though the word of God cannot come to pass. But when you go back to your Bible, you'll find that the word of God still says the same thing it did before. And the spirit of God will remind us, this is what I said. So, for instance, you go to the throne of grace, needing mercy and grace to help in time of need. Why would we expect mercy and grace from God to help us in our time of need? Because that's what he promises. And so how many times is there a gap of time between when we believe that promise, if I'll go to God and and say, Lord, I need mercy. I have erred. I do not deserve for you to help me in my difficulty, but you promised me mercy. So I'm not asking because I deserve it. I'm asking because you're kind and forgiving and I need grace. I don't have what it takes to do what is right. And you expect God to help you do what is right. And yet, many times after believing that promise, there is a gap of time between seeing the fulfillment of it and a storm in between that makes you say, are you sure you believe the right thing? And what we have to do is say the word of God is still the same. God's word to Paul never changed. It was still the same. And so then he strengthens Paul's faith. He, he, the source of that faith is what God said. Not Paul didn't say men I just have a feeling. It's kind of like a sixth sense. We're going to make it to Rome. I feel good about things. No, no, all that was gone. He said, God has told me we're going to make it, and I I believe him. Do you realize this is what the Christian life comes down to, a decision of whether or not we're going to believe God? And there are times, as we've said and said and said, that everything around you makes God's word look like it's faulty, but it's not. And we must make a decision to say, with, as he did, I believe what God says. So then he says, wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. By the way, his ability to cheer them up did not come until, first of all, he heard from the Lord and he believed the Lord. And then he could say, you know what? I'm not afraid. You don't need to be afraid. Be of good cheer. God has given me some good news. He's going to rescue our lives, not the ship. But he's going to rescue our lives. And so the source of his persuasion, the word of God, the strengthening of his persuasion, the word of God, the steadfastness of his persuasion, verse 25 through 31, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer, for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit, we must be cast upon a certain island. But when the fourteenth night was come, fourteenth night. So how long has it been since he said be of good cheer? But when the fourteenth night was come, it seems to me this is the fourteenth night of the storm. As we were driven up and down in Adria about midnight, the shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country and sounded and found it twenty fathoms, And when they'd gone a little further, they sounded again and found it 15 fathoms. Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast four anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship. You know what we know about these shipmen? They did not believe Paul. (laughs) 
They said, no, Paul's plan is stay with the ship until it breaks apart and we'll be saved. But we believe our best option is to jump ship. Get out of here while we can. And Paul says, no, <laughs> we've, we've got to stick with what God says. So the Bible says, Paul, uh, Paul said to the centurion, verse 31, and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut off the ropes of the boat and let her fall off. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them all to take meat. He is still now preaching to them. He's still speaking to them and admonishing them. He's told them, be of good cheer. Now he says, take meat, saying, this day is the 14th day that you have tarried and continued fasting, having taken nothing. Wherefore, I pray you to take some meat, for this is for your health. For there shall not an hair fall from the head of any of you. Verse 35, and when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then were they all of good cheer, and they also took some meat. Not till verse 36 does the Bible say they finally responded to what Paul said. Paul said, be of good cheer, be of good cheer, be of good cheer. And in the midst of that storm, there were still some men that said, we don't believe this. No, we're getting out of here while the getting's good. Our, our chances are better. And Paul said, they can't do that. And we know at this point the centurion decided to believe Paul because Paul had believed God. And he says, cut the ropes. Don't let them do it. Everybody stays on the ship. We're listening to Paul this time. Then Paul says, men, I'm telling you, I believe God. You need to eat. It's for your health. You know what I believe Paul understood? We all have a bit of a swim in front of us. You need your strength. And see what he did? He exemplified what he wanted them to do. He took some food. He said, Lord, thank you for this. And he expressed a contentment in a, in a promise-keeping God. And when he lived by faith, you know what happened? All of them took bread with him and ate and were of good cheer. And now you know who the primary influence on this boat is? Paul. But you know what it took to get that to happen? A storm. In our lives, many times, for God to establish our influence, salt and light. You know what Paul had in this? He let his light so shine. None of them believed what Paul believed. He said, I believe we're going to be rescued. Not the rest of them. He said, I believe we ought to be of good cheer. I have a promise from God. And his ability to maintain confidence in God in spite of the circumstances around him gave him an influence over 276 souls. And all I'm saying tonight is, you and I must be steadfast in our confidence in the Word of God, no matter what's going on around us. God's Word is always faithful. And out of that, the Bible tells us, we've seen the source of His persuasion, the strengthening of it, the steadfastness of it, but the success of it. By the time you get to the end of the chapter, the Bible says in verse 43, back in verse 42, the soldiers counseled that they should kill all the prisoners. That would include Paul. If the soldiers' counsel is followed, guess what? God's promise is negated. It says, verse 43, But the centurion willing to save Paul kept them from their purpose and commanded that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and, to get, to, and get to land, and the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. By the time you get to the end of Acts 28, you know what Paul's doing? Preaching the gospel in Rome. It's the last thing we find him doing before his death. Well, how about that? God kept his word. You know what that storm, much of that storm was about? A test of Paul's faith, no doubt. But he triumphed. And how did he triumph? Let's not complicate this. He had a choice to make. Am I going to believe what God clearly promised me in this book? Or am I going to believe my feelings, my emotions, my circumstances, and the majority of people around me? Because there was a conflict between them, was there not? And Paul said, I believe 
God. And for us, you know how you and I come through our storms? Just believe God. Take him at his word, and you'll come out on the other side because our hope in him is the anchor of our soul. One man on that ship was anchored through the whole thing, and it was the Apostle Paul, and that's because he trusted the word of God. Do we not have some plain promises in this book? What we need to do, believe him, even when it seems unbelievable. God cannot lie, and we know that. And so may we tonight, like Paul, be steadfast in our persuasion that by and by we may succeed at seeing others rescued. Their bodies and their lives rescued physically, and I assume many of them were rescued spiritually. And so tonight, how we respond to our storms is going to be, you know how many times it's in the midst of a storm that someone says, well, I thought, I used to believe the Bible, but... And if you dig into when they quit believing the Bible, it was generally in the midst of a storm that made it look like every promise they believed was coming unraveled and could never come to pass. May we tonight just lay hold of the Bible. If it's about your marriage, about child training, it's about expectation of life, forward progress, and your spiritual growth, whatever it may be, if God's given you a promise from his word, if he's promised you victory. How many of you guys know this, know this to be true? Especially young people. We read 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. How many times is that verse we say, I'm not even sure if that's true. I believe that's true, but the experience of my life tells me that's not. <laughs> I keep getting blown over. No, 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 no. We don't let the experiences of our life tell us what to believe. We believe God. Mm-hmm.